everyone. So before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to quickly mention what's going on with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, this is not at all related to today's episode, but my, my partner is Ukrainian, and it's hard to overstate just the magnitude of the devastation that his friends and family and compatriots are facing right now. So if you're able to make a donation, um, I recommend either the Red Cross or the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, but um, yeah, there are plenty of charities that are doing really good work trying to support people over there and people who are uh, trying to flee as refugees. So whatever you can give, is it really helps. Thank you. Hello and welcome to One Great History. I'm Alex. And I'm Sabrina. And we're here with our friend and producer, Nick. How's it going? Um, we've got a pretty silly one today that I've been promising for a while. Um, today's episode is about milk. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a bit of background on this episode. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not like an agricultural history enthusiast necessarily. <laughs> You're barely outdoorsy. I, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> I've like met one cow. Yeah. Um, no, but when I was young, my elementary school had this thing called Milk Spirit Week. Um, every year, which at our school is actually like kind of a big deal. So we had like we had like Milk Spirit Week, we had Voyager Week, and we had like the Christmas concert. I feel like those were like the big events. Did you not have just like a normal Spirit Week? Was no, your... no, that's we, so weird. We had Milk Spirit Week instead, and so <laughs> yeah, so there were like that's bizarre. <laughs> okay, and this is the background because it never occurred to me until as an adult. I mentioned this to other people and they were like, what are you talking I about? I went to a school in the country with a bunch of <laughs> farmers and we had just a normal run-of-the-mill spirit week. Yeah, so I think like it was very much probably like what a spirit week would be. It was just all milk themed. It's like, how many, how many days can you get out of that? A whole week. Like, what did you do? Okay, so um, usually it... it ended with like a talent show but there were i'll go through i'll go through some of the specifics of the events and stuff later um but yeah there were all kinds of like events and contests and they were like tickets all week that you'd put in for like raffles and prizes the big prize okay the big (laughs) prize was an inflatable cow (laughs) it's like this big inflatable cow and one year one of my good friends julia won it and i was like so jealous i remember i went to her house and i saw the cow and i was like oh man (laughs) Can't you imagine the parents were thrilled, though? What do you do with that as an adult? I think it was just stuck in their basement. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. So the important part is just that it it never occurred to me that that was, like, a weird thing. You're the only person I know who's done this? It's a thing, though. It's a thing all across the province. That's bizarre. Yeah. It does sound vaguely familiar now that you mention like the giveaway of milk things. Like, I I do recall getting, like, maybe, like, a fridge magnet. With the, just said like dairy or something. Yeah, you know? like, interesting. I wonder if like your school might have gotten like the package to do it and decided yeah. not to go whole hog like mine did. I feel like it was more or whole so cow. like <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you this if is you, what we have to look forward to all episode, <laughs> I assume. I think it was more of like a, if you drink milk like so many days of the week, then you're entered into a draw to okay, win some yeah. sort of like yeah. milk paraphernalia yeah so that's like for all those milk enthusiasts yes. at home. yeah <laughs> so this episode is kind of me trying to figure out how we ended up with milk spirit week but also like more broadly why milk is so like ubiquitous especially in yeah. schools but like i don't know just why why do we drink so much milk 
Who knows? We're going to find out. <laughs> I assume you have some kind of an answer for us. I have 16 pages of notes. <laughs> uh, this is a Ginger Snooks episode. Yeah. I don't know what this says to you, but that's about how long my Ginger Snooks notes okay. were. Great. <laughs> um, and just to be clear, what I'm not going to be doing is telling you whether or not you actually should drink milk or if it's good for you, because I'm not qualified to do that. <laughs> Um, actually, are you guys, like, big milk drinkers? I used to be when I was younger, and then, as it turns out, most of my family's actually lactose intolerant, and that's a thing that sets in when you hit about 25. Oh, man. So slowly but surely, like, my cousins would get, would start to develop yeah. it, and then, like, I got it, and my brother's worse than me now, but, like, my brother used to drink a lot of milk, and now we just can't. I feel like every person I've met who's lactose intolerant, though, treats it as, like, more of an inconvenience than an actual oh yeah it's like like it's a slight impediment to consuming a milkshake yeah (laughs) but like i'll still have it how about you nick do you have like will you have like a glass of milk no i haven't had a i used to growing up i would have a glass of milk with dinner every night like usually um two percent occasionally chocolate milk if you know if we're lucky um but then i worked a day and a half at the superstore dairy section uh in my early 20s and a day and a half was all I needed to be surrounded by the smell of milk oh. to never, ever want to drink milk again. Like, I say a day and a half because I walked out at lunchtime and was like, nope, I'm done. It's I... cold and it smells <laughs> and and it was the worst. Oh, man. I worked for, I think, three or four months as my first job at the Superstore home meal replacement section oh, wow. <laughs> on, like, the, on, like, the chickens. You know, those, like, roast chickens. It similarly, for me, completely <laughs> destroyed any desire I would ever have to yeah. consume those. I'll still have a glass of milk when I'm having, like, a piece of cake or something. I yeah. But it's rare now. I, I'll have it more often than, like, a hot beverage. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, when I'm at home, I'm, I'm like, mostly drinking, like, soy milk or oat milk. Yeah. or And then if I'm out and about, if, like... You're going to treat yourself to some a, 2%. <laughs> like, I'm not vegan. It's not a rule. I'm just like, eh, I have soy milk at home. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I totally grew up drinking milk at every meal. Mm-hmm. Um, except there was one period, a fun little Alex story here, oh, where <laughs> my family thought I was lactose intolerant. And so I drank goat's milk for like, probably like a year. Oh. Um, huh. I wasn't. I was just like, I guess I was just like having a ton of fits and I was like really fussy. Turns out, <laughs> turns out I was just like neurodivergent and overwhelmed. <laughs> what? You overwhelmed and anxious? Yeah. <laughs> it was not the milk. That's a funny way to be like, blamed. my kid seems a weird. I wonder if it's the milk. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to ask my dad because I don't know why that's what they settled on. Because <laughs> I feel like with everyone I know who's lactose intolerant, it's like their stomach is upset. Yeah. I think There's maybe, not like a mood change. I was pretty young. So I think maybe they thought that I wasn't feeling well. And uh, that's yeah. why I was like, interesting. yeah, upset. Okay. But to get into the actual <laughs> history here. Yeah. So cows were domesticated like thousands of years mm-hmm. ago, like 10,000 years ago. Um, and the first cows did come to Manitoba with the Red River settlers. Yeah. Um, but before the late 19th century, milk drinking was actually like fairly unusual, even in like Western Europe and North America, which certainly drank a lot more milk than a lot yeah. of other areas of the world. Um, so Manitoba doesn't get its actual like first proper dairy herd until 1880. Okay. Yeah. So rural families in Canada and the U.S. often had, like, a family cow. Yeah. But the milk from that cow was usually put to better use in things like butter or cheese. Yeah, things that keep a little longer, too. Yes, or, like, fermented products like sour cream or yogurt or, like, depending on, you know, the background of the family and whatnot. So most, like, what they call fluid milk, which is a a fun phrase we'll be using today. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) 
So that would have been usually like the buttermilk leftover yeah. from making butter, which like sometimes people did drink. Yeah. Um, which sounds gross to me, but like, <laughs> I guess you can. Use it in soups all the time. I can, yeah. Don't see why but, not. Yeah. So like more frequently it was used in like baking and stuff. Yeah. I don't see why you wouldn't drink it too. So yeah, people did drink milk yeah. sometimes, but like that wasn't actually the best use for yeah. the milk. Um, the other thing is that a family cow wouldn't produce milk all the time, right? Yeah. This was something that you had like part of the year. Yeah. Well, so, it would be crazy for an animal to lactate year-round. Well, that's yeah. bonkers. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of, you know, like, now we have milk year-round. That's, yeah. that's a fairly a fairly new phenomenon. Um, so, yeah, I guess how did we get from that, where it's like, eh, we're kind of, like, drinking milk occasionally, but mostly having, like, cheese, to yeah. the guidance that I feel like I grew up with, that you should be drinking, like, two to three glasses of milk a day. Um, so I think one factor that's worth mentioning is that in both the United States and Canada, the governments used kind of agriculture in general, but also like raising animals specifically as a way to erase indigenous lifestyles. Yeah. So both by like encouraging previously nomadic peoples to like stay put and farm, mm -hmm. um, but then also by like taking over the natural habitat of the bison. Yeah. So there is like a vested colonial interest in having cows around, yeah. weirdly. But that doesn't really explain why we're using them so much for, like, dairy or, like, why we have no, cows specifically. Yeah. Um, and really, milk drinking starts as a response to cities. Hmm. This is, like, the big theme of our show, I feel like. It's just, like, cities are scary and weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think part of it was, like, the glorification of this, like, rural lifestyle, which is, like, already kind of disappearing, right? Yeah, so kind of, like, the cowboy as an ideal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think just, like, the idea that, like, there had been these, like, healthy, hearty farm kids drinking yeah. milk every day, which, like, maybe wasn't even true. No. But that was the idea, I think. Like, the idea just that milk had been available, and now when you're in the city is less so. Yeah. Because, you know, you, like, people did keep cows in cities. Yeah. But you can't keep that many cows in the city. <laughs> no, not quite enough room. No. Um... And yeah, really, cow's milk gets its, like, big break <laughs> as a food for infants. Okay. So this is not something we do now, because we now know that it's not chemically the same. Yeah, no, that would be... As breast no. milk, but um, we didn't then. Yeah. So it was often used. So there are several reasons for this. Um, Did you put all kinds of weird stuff in baby food over the years? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we didn't, like, we didn't know a lot about what was in food until yeah. super recently. Um, but yeah, so as women moved into the city and into the workforce, rates of breastfeeding fell pretty dramatically. Mm -hmm. And there are a few reasons for this. So one is that some public health officials and social reformers became convinced that working and living in the city would like harm women's ability to produce safe breast milk for their children. Weird. I mean, I was gonna say weird, but then I thought about every other idea about how living city uh, destroys right. you on like a spiritual and mental and okay. physical level. It's funny that you say on like a spiritual and mental level because I think that's part of it. It's not even about like oh the pollutants in the city. No, which, it's that it makes might you be, which might be somewhat legit. Yeah. No, it's that like women were hysterical because the city was overwhelming, and then their breast milk was also hysterical. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's this one guy Robert Hartley who writes a 350-page-long treatise on milk in the mid 19th century. Great. And he tells this anecdote about a mother who, there's this, like, moment of extreme stress. She has to, like, break up a sword fight between her husband and some other guy. <laughs> no, that does sound stressful. Does. I'll give her that. And directly afterwards, she goes to breastfeed her baby, and the baby immediately dies. 
<laughs> no, I shouldn't laugh at that, no, but that's, well, okay, the timing okay. is so bizarre. It's not a real story. Yeah. Let's be like, yeah. this is clearly made up. <laughs> it's one of these things, like, even in the thing that he wrote, it's like, he heard it from a doctor who heard it from a person. Like, it's very, it's definitely made up, so you're allowed to laugh. <laughs> Um, just the timing of it alone. Yeah. So the idea that, like, oh my god, she was so stressed out in that moment that, that just, it like, became poisonous. It became poisonous. Yeah. So these health officials began su- suggesting substituting with cow's milk instead. Yeah. Um, cows are just like humans. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> looks looks similar, maybe. I don't, I don't... Put a hat on it. We'll never know the difference. <laughs> um. Yeah, but, like, there are other reasons as well. So one is that among lower-class women, it wasn't always a choice yeah. to breastfeed or not, right? Like, if they were actively in the workforce, they weren't necessarily with their child all the yeah. time. Um, I mean, that's that's still true. Yeah. Um, They might also not be taking in enough calories to breastfeed. Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah. if we think about, like, a family living in really dire poverty, often it's the mother who took the kind of brunt of that, right? Yeah. Like, dad needs to eat because he's going to like a labor job yeah and the kids need to eat because they're kids so So then mom gets the least amount of food totally um but among upper and middle class women it became trendy also like not to breastfeed your own child so this is kind of like a bizarre thing and partly it's like pushed by men there's like this kind Hmm. of like social this is super weird but there's like social mores at the time that a woman shouldn't be having sex while she's breastfeeding okay so like i think men were pushing their wives not to breastfeed okay i know it's yucky <laughs> <laughs> um that's a weird it's but super okay weird. And al- but also just like wasn't trendy i guess and yeah. so like wealthy women would sometimes hire like wet nurses yeah to, to nurse their children but obviously not everyone can afford that no and so for like middle class women who were like trying to look like upper class women <laughs> um a somewhat cheaper option was just to feed cow's milk sure i guess and then you're then you're right in the trend keeping of... up with the joneses yeah exactly <laughs> um and for whatever reason like mid-19th century reformers become kind of obsessed with the idea that milk is a perfect food so this is a quote that comes up a lot weird the perfect food which works like it's it's a I don't know it's a liquid I don't even know if it is a food I, I guess, guess you can make it into foods yeah so for instance that guy Robert Hartley with yeah. the baby story his treatise is actually called a historical scientific and practical essay on milk as an article of human sustenance um and like basically that it's just the perfect food is what he's saying this hmm. whole thing I feel like milk is just fine that would be yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> my whole review but it's fine. Um, so milk becomes associated with purity, health, and hardiness, especially in kids. <laughs> okay. So, again, I think this is kind of, like, hearkening back to this rural past, right, yeah. of these, like, robust, healthy farm kids. Couldn't get enough of milk. Couldn't get enough milk, these kids, just chugging it, <laughs> chugging it straight from the cow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not a good mental image. Um... It's also important to note that, like, late 19th century health officials weren't making these claims based on, like, milk has, like, calcium and other vitamins, right? Like, we didn't yeah. we didn't know about vitamins until the early 20th century. A lot of it seems to be just kind of based on, like, vibes, essentially, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. totally, yeah, milk vibes, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I don't know, this seems good. Yeah, no, it's 100% that. And I think, like, as we go forward and, like, learn about 
nutrients. It's almost like we go back and like retrofit it. Yeah. We're not like we should drink milk because it has vitamins. It's like, well, we should continue drinking milk. Because it has vitamins. Because it has vitamins. Yeah. Exactly. But before that, it's like, I don't know. It seems like it might be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pure, so healthy. I'm going to give my baby a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so by the 1880s and 1890s, people are drinking like many times more milk than they had been before. Um, and in particular, infants and children at yeah. this point. Um, and in 1885, Manitoba already um, begins begins essentially subsidizing dairy. Oh, wow. That early? Yeah. And we had only had our first dairy herd like five years prior, right? <laughs> wow. That's, but, well, that's fast moving. That's what the subsidies are about. So they passed the Manitoba Dairy Act, which exempted, this is a quote from a, a report, exempted taxation on all land, buildings, and machinery used in connection with creameries and cheese factories. Huh. So the idea was to encourage people to start dairies and creameries, okay. right? And this was in place until about 1920. That's a long time. That's, yeah. That's a long subsidy. That's it. That's like a big milk period. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. golden age of milk, you might say. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um milk marketing also already begins so this is kind of getting us more on the track towards like milk spirit yeah. week right like we're already marketing it i mean i feel like when i'm doing research in the papers for other things there's always an ad for like city milk yes okay yeah. city milk and um crescent creamery yes were the two milk companies that had like a chokehold on yeah. city dairy until... what does it say about us that we're like yeah we know city milk <laughs> a recognizable brand of course i know city milk <laughs> Yeah, until about 1920, they were, like, the big names. Yeah, you see them in all the papers. Yeah. Um, so the province hires a professor, S.M., I'm not sure if it's Barry or Barr, I'm going to go with Barry. Sure. Um, to go around Manitoba and deliver lectures on dairy farming. Okay. Um, in 1896, Winnipeg opens a dairy school, which is initially on Bannatyne, but kind of moves around. Yeah. Um, where its students, most of whom were the daughters of farmers... Okay. Um, could learn about like milk testing, engineering, and how to make yeah. cheese and butter. I think part of the effort here too is like not just to like we should have milk, but also like we should have safer milk. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, so the dairy school also created um, a dairy train in partnership with the Ministry of Agriculture, which had a refrigerated car, which is pretty neat. Yeah, for, like for eighteen eighteen nineties. Um, along with, like, a passenger car filled with dairy equipment where um, people could come and attend lectures. And so it would, like, travel across Did the Did it province. give out free samples? Oh, I bet, eh? I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I would bet. go to a dairy train if it gave out free samples of cheese. <laughs> would you sit in on a lecture about dairy for, for free? Yeah, probably. For, well, for, I don't know if I would for free milk, but for free cheese. Well, free milk you can get anywhere, but free <laughs> cheese. <laughs> can you get free milk anywhere? I don't, I don't know about that, Sabrina. <laughs> Yeah, if you go to anyone's house or go into the okay. store and you don't care too much about the law. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you can get a lot of free things that way. It's oh, that man. old saying, why go to the milk seminar where you can get the cow for... Wait, I screwed that one up. <laughs> no, they get what you're saying. Yeah. No, but I feel like giving out free milk is a lot less impressive because it's just like, oh, it's just milk. Yeah. But free cheese, there's some effort put into that. Though in 1896, it might have been, uh, been impressive to get free milk. Probably, yeah. Also... It's a bunch of Winnipeggers. I don't think anyone's ever going to say no to a free thing. That's <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, now, the awful irony of this new obsession with milk for infants and children is that it may have pretty dramatically increased infant deaths in the late 1800s. Oh, yeah. When, like, otherwise they should have been declining. Yeah. 
So transportation was a big problem, Mm -hmm. especially with urbanization, right? Like getting milk from the country to the city often led to bacterial contamination. Yeah. Especially in summer because refrigeration was not what it is today, right? (laughs) Um, But also there were like very few controls over food around the turn of the century. Milk was pretty often mixed with like flour or even sawdust to make it look better. Right? Like, if it looked kind of, like, watery and not very good. Would sawdust improve that? I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) I assume also there's not a lot of, like, sanitation going on with the bottles they're putting the No, probably not. And, like, sanitation fortunately gets a lot better in the, like, in the early 20th century. And kids, like, mostly stop dying from bad milk. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, like, back in the 1850s, though, there had been kind of a, like, catastrophe in New York where some 8,000 children had died from oh adulterated God. milk. Yeah. Oh. So I think that kind of drove a lot of, um, yeah. and like similar scandals, drove yeah. a lot of these like sanitation efforts. Um, yeah, but the federal dairy branch is also formed in 1890, and the Dairy Products Act is passed in 1893 to start creating standards for safety and like mechanisms for yeah. inspection and that kind of thing. So we're pretty quickly getting on it. Yeah, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the situation now is that milk is seen as, like, absolutely essential for healthy infants and children, which leads us to a repeated crisis throughout the early 20th century, the milk strike. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you were telling me about the milk strike pre-recording. There were so many milk strikes. I can't, I can't tell you about all of them, (laughs) but I will tell you about a few. Yeah. So, um... November of 1916, over 100 employees of the Crescent Creamery Company go on strike for four days. Okay. Resulting in the company being forced to recognize the employees' union. It seems like it was mostly the drivers who were striking. Okay. So it didn't um, interrupt things too badly. Like, a lot of people were kind of just, like, going to the plant to get milk. Well, in 1919, during the general strike, I know milk delivery was a really big concern. Yes. The Committee of 1000 was trying to be like, well, the strikers don't want kids to get milk they're starving families absolutely and yeah i'm glad you brought that up because the strike is also the first time that i could find that milk was distributed in schools interestingly oh really right so like a little later in the strike they actually do resume those milk deliveries right because it comes becomes this point of contention yeah so the strikers can see and they're like we'll allow milk deliveries to happen and then it looks like we're caring about families totally but in like june um they actually, yeah. like, the city set up, like, milk distribution depots at some of the schools. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, in any case, though, in 1916, four days of no milk deliveries is enough that Crescent Creamery takes out two big ads in the Tribune, basically reassuring customers that everything is fine. <laughs> so, um... Four days without milk and that's... Yeah. So, like, a couple of days in, they say that, uh, that the trouble of the company is largely confined to drivers. The interior working of their plant is in no way interfered with. All milk is being taken care of on delivery, pasteurized and bottled. So basically they're like, everything yeah. is fine. We're just not delivering it right now. And then after the strike ends, they put out another ad basically saying like, oh, there's no hard feelings. Everything is fine. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess the only way to get your milk at this point is to get it delivered to your house, though. Hey, it's not like you're yes. popping on down to the corner store to buy no. some milk. No, totally. At this point, it was basically, yeah, home deliveries yeah. or you had to like go to the factory. Which is, I'm assuming, very out of the way. Probably. Um, in 1917, though, there's also a milk producer's strike. Oh. So this is the people actually yeah. getting the milk from the cows. Yeah. <laughs> um, in 
Um, I suppose the cows are the true milk producers, aren't they? <laughs> Can the cows make a union? <laughs> Maybe should. Um, so this means that while the plants are operating, like the factory yeah. workers are there, they're not getting any milk to, to actually yeah. process. So this is enough that the city is reassured by the mayor. He actually comes out and oh. is like, the creamery still have lots of milk to get through. Everything's fine. You're going to get your milk. <laughs> um, so Crescent Creamery put out a statement being like, we actually have a surplus right now. Hmm. We're just going to like stop making condensed and evaporated milk in the meantime okay. so that you can have your regular like fluid milk delivery. Yeah. Um, this I think is really fun. Um, a couple days after the city is reassured mm-hmm. by the mayor, the strike is still going on. So a truck carrying milk is blocked by a hay rack. And while well, two men come up and empty six cans of milk from the truck. Oh, it's so like a, a milk hijacking? Is that what happened? They or are they pouring they it out? They pour it out. What? Yes. So the Tribune asks, is it conspiracy or coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> So the it's driver, a lame conspiracy. I will say that the driver is a guy by the name of Patrick Power, and he says that he did not say a word when his milk was spilled, but drove on in silence. Which is a really funny mental he image is, that they're just Alex, pouring out his he's milk. He's not crying over spilled milk. <laughs> oh no! <sorry. laughs> but absolutely, yeah. yeah. He just like sat there apparently in stony silence <laughs> as they did this, and then left. That's a very strange picture. Why? <laughs> um, why? But also, why did they do it? Well, we don't know, because the two guys who did it got away, but the guy driving the, the hay rack was, like, brought into court. Okay. He was a guy by the name of Kellebrand, and he claimed that he just happened to be stuck trying to cross the road, hmm. and that it was just, like, a coincidence that he didn't know these <laughs> just guys. Just some random guys were like, we yes. see a milk truck, time yeah. to cause some problems. Like, that it's just, like, opportunistic, so there's this whole kind of, like, huh. scandal over whether or not Kellebrand was, like, in, um, in, in cahoots co- with these guys. <laughs> Which is, what is the point if he is in cahoots? What do you accomplish I, by dumping out six bottles of milk? I don't know. I mean, to be clear, like, they're not the small bottles, right? They're, like, these big, like, yeah. yeah. Like the, like, metal containers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But even so. No, it's, it's just, not that much. You've just dumped a bunch of milk on the ground. Who are you helping? It's or... probably not worth the conspiracy. <laughs> it, and it maybe was just, like. Just the weirdest coincidence in the world. I guess just, like, maybe a couple, like, angry dairy farmers were like, oh, that. That SOB driving oh, just the milk maybe around. some teenagers who need to do some like weird cow tipping. <laughs> I think there was an episode of Shit's Creek that was like this. They were like smuggling like. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah am I, I think am so. I correct? I feel like I remember something about milk smuggling. Huh. Yeah, I just remember them having to pour out the the big things right, of milk yeah, yeah, yeah. for because it was illegal milk. It was oh, like yeah. a very high concentrate of I don't know. I don't know anything about milk. I'm learning tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about this story all day now just because it's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in the same year um, as that strike, the Manitoba Department of Agriculture and Immigration establishes a dairy branch. Okay. Which worked to educate factory farmers on safety, but also held things like dairy shows and competitions. Um, Now, in the health report from 1918, we can see how seriously the city is taking Mm -hmm. like milk inspections and just like how important milk is to the city. So there's a new amendment to bylaws that basically make it a a harsher punishment if a person is found guilty of selling adulterated milk or cream. Hmm. So you could even spend time in prison for doing that. Yeah. You could also lose your license, of course. Um, 
So dairy inspectors made almost 6,000 inspections over the course of the year with 37 prosecutions. Um, tests were done for infectious diseases among farmers and cows. Um, by the way, the offenses included um, watered milk, milk or cream being below standard, selling without a license, and I don't know what this means, misuse of milk bottles. <laughs> huh. It was just in a table. Cannot tell you what it means. Would that be like packaging like liquor in milk bottles or something like that? I don't know. I mean, that does, that could be, but I was wondering if it was something to do with like sanitation like they were like reusing milk bottles oh, maybe. without sanitizing them properly Who knows? i don't know but um in terms of like selling without a license there's a bit of an issue at this point about like raw milk so mm -hmm. like unpasteurized yeah. milk being sold by like miscellaneous vendors some of whom are licensed and some of whom are yeah. not throughout the city just like on the side of the street so pasteurization wasn't mandatory yet in winnipeg mm -hmm. um though it already had been introduced in toronto actually okay that's mandatory so this is from an editorial um, in the Tribune. There are today some 106 peddlers distributing raw milk on the streets of Winnipeg out of open cans, under license from the city, operating 142 wagons or thereabouts, the larger number of them being unable to read or write the English language. And to teach them modern methods as to sanitation through ordinary channels is more or less impossible. Weirdly, this is not the first time our milk story is going to get weirdly racist. Okay. But... But also, it's just essentially just like a hot dog cart, but with milk. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but like unpasteurized. Come get your sidewalk milk. milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that editorial is by, can you guess? Oh, man. I feel like I should know. There, there are really only two options here. <laughs> it's by Crescent Creamery. Oh, okay. I thought you were trying to make me guess like which Winnipeg character no. would have a strong opinion. I was like. Probably not Ginger Snooks. I would love if I had found a Ginger Snooks milk <laughs> editorial. Um, but this, yeah, this editorial and its insistence on mandatory pasteurization is, like, unsurprisingly... And it's sort of, like, undercurrent of racism is just Crescent Creamery. Yes. And so, like, I wonder if that was actually a big problem or if it was just, like, Creamery propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the actual conspiracy that we might yeah. be looking into. <laughs> um... And so the health report says there is nothing that will build up and enrich a community quicker than the production of milk. Every prosperous country is a dairy country. Hmm. Debatable, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, infant mortality that year um was the lowest on record despite um despite the Spanish flu. Oh wow! And so that is attributed largely to the baby's milk depot, which had been introduced. Okay, so. What this was, was, I mean, it's pretty much what yeah. it sounds like. It's a place where mothers could go and get cow's milk yeah. for their children. Um, but they both sold milk and also gave out charity feedings. Okay. So it's a really interesting system where, like, mothers paid when they were able to do so. Yeah. And some of them made use of both paid and charity feedings just as they yeah. were able to. Which is, like, kind of a neat yeah, system. Yeah, it is. Um, it's also operated a clinic, which had huh. two doctors alternating yeah. days. So it's actually, like, quite a progressive thing. Yeah. And may have helped children not to die that year, which is pretty good. Amazing, considering it's 1918. Yeah, they distributed over 350,000 bottles. Wow. In 1918. Um, there is, though, the issue of feed being more expensive and farmers unwilling to buy it, which led to lower milk production mm. uh, for a short yeah. period of time. And that shortage in milk supply is blamed, in addition to influenza, for the doubling of the infant death rate in November, 
Wow. So the city is actually like, this is like one of the central things of like, this is how our children stay healthy. Huh. Is do they have milk? So milk is definitely no longer a matter of just like the family cow, right? It's already <laughs> become heavily regulated. And we've seen that dairy companies are actively interested in how it's regulated. Yeah. Right? Because they have the money to do pasteurizing yeah. and stuff. <laughs> um, and what I think is really interesting, too, is that while we do see ads for those, like, individual milk companies, yeah. like Crescent Creamery and City Milk, what we see more frequently is these companies simply putting forward the claim that, like, milk, writ large, is this, like, greatest of all foods. It's just such a bold claim for something I don't yeah. think is that exciting. <laughs> but they thought it was. They thought yeah. it was super exciting. And... Um, like, there is some competition between the companies, but there seems to be this, like, realization pretty early on that if they can get the public drinking more milk in general, they can all kind of share in yeah. the profits, right? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's different from how most things are marketed. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, too, if it's, like, because there's not that much difference between different milks, <laughs> right? Like, if milk isn't... As long well, as city not... milk's got the better cows. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Like, it's not like your average person is like, ah, yes, yeah. the, uh, premium, the premium milk. <laughs> a milk connoisseur. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, like, as long as they're like, our milk is safe, which is usually what's yeah. advertised. Otherwise, it's just like, milk is good. All milk. <laughs> Buy Drink more any milk. milk. Yeah. The other thing, of course, that's been happening during this period is the First World War. Yeah. Um, so malnutrition is seen as a problem as the country gears up for mm -hmm. war. So both because of like labor and because of, you know, soldiers mm -hmm. who, who need to be fighting fit and milk, the perfect food is seen as one of the possible solutions. Yeah. Actually, I have a milk related anecdote to this. Okay. I took a history of medicine course in university and we were talking a bit about like World War One and stuff like that. And I know... I haven't been in this class in years, so this might not be fully accurate. But the <laughs> anecdote I remember was that they were starting to like draft men for the war, but men were not reaching the height requirement ah. because everyone was malnourished and they were short. Yeah. So they couldn't draft their own citizens into the army. Right. So they start going like, well, maybe if you like, put things into milk, yeah. everyone's drinking it, it will help them grow. And yeah. then we can send our men off to war because they're tall enough. There you go. I don't yeah. know if that's like, like a happy ending to that story, but <laughs> and like I think malnourishment probably was an actual real problem. Oh, absolutely. But just well, I was like, talking with my cousin yeah. today about just like we need vitamin D in Manitoba because we don't get a lot of sun here in the winter. No, totally. And I think like one of the things about milk, especially as we learn about vitamins, yeah, is that I mean, kind of like in the same way that we put fluoride in water because yeah. it's something everyone is consuming. Yeah. If we know that everyone is consuming milk, we can like enrich it with vitamins. Yeah. So I think in some ways it becomes a health product for that reason. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense. Yeah. But also during the war, the ability to make like powdered and canned condensed milk oh, yeah. improved. And so that made it a more useful wartime mm -hmm. food product, right? Because that can actually be shipped overseas, which yeah. you don't really want to send like big, big bottles <laughs> no. of like glass bottles of milk overseas. That's not going to keep for no. the like what two months <laughs> it takes to cross the ocean. No, probably not. Yeah. So, and we already talked about um, milk distribution during the strike. So obviously, yeah. like this is an important issue in the city. Um. Now let's go forward a bit to the 1930s. Um, okay. During the Depression, selling, like, relatively small amounts of cream became an important way for rural families to make money. Okay. Um, especially in light of, like, drought and crop yeah. failures, right? So often, like, this was virtually the only income for some families. Yeah. The, like, little bit of cream that they sold once a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the other reason for this is that the price of milk didn't go down during the Depression, which some yeah. other things did, and so that further incentivized yeah. um, dairy for small farmers, especially if they weren't having much success with yeah. other things, right? that makes sense. Yeah. But because everyone was trying to sell cream and milk, this led to a surplus of milk. <laughs> okay. So creameries then reduced the amount that they were paying to individual producers. Okay. So there's a lot of like weird milk economics yeah. here that I don't super want to get like deep into. <laughs> milk economics, yes. <laughs> but like essentially what's happened is that the creameries have budgeted a, a set amount of money yeah. that they're going to pay for milk. So now that there's more people selling them milk, each of those people is just yeah. getting less. Yeah. So they're not sense. they're not spending less money on milk, they're just giving paying everyone people. less. Yes. And so this leads to another strike. Hey. Um, so in 1932, another strike is threatened by producers. There's this, um, huge meeting. So 700 milk producers from greater Winnipeg and in a kind of 500 mile radius voted to cut off milk deliveries from distributors okay. until all the distributors agreed to pay one price for milk. Okay. So part of the issue here, the thing with the one price yeah. is that if your milk ended up being used as milk you got paid more than if it got turned into butter okay and when there's a bigger surplus more of the milk is getting turned into butter yeah. because that keeps longer right so there's a five hour long meeting of milk producers <laughs> with many impassioned speeches oh i can only imagine <laughs> um this is a quote half an hour after a particular motion was moved the meeting got beyond control of the chair and remained so for the greater part of the next 90 minutes. So it's just like this out of control milk meeting. Milk yeah. meeting. We've all been to one. <laughs> so the public utility board actually takes up an investigation into this. Wow. So there's uh, several questions that they pose. Um, to what extent is domestic milk a public necessity in an urban community? Is the delivery of bottled milk from house to house by wagon an essential service to the public? Um, what should be the relationship of the price to the producer of domestic milk and butterfat? And so all kinds of things that they're trying to figure out. And basically what they're asking is like, is this a public utility? Mm -hmm. Is milk a public utility? Um, and is it? It is. Oh. Wow. Yes. So I'll get to that in one second, though. Um. So, yeah, so WR Aid of the Crescent Creamery Company claimed that the problem was actually just overproduction. Okay. And basically that, like, more milk was being produced for the city than the city needed. So the big issue here is that, as a result, um, producers would be paid... So producers would be paid 93 cents per 100 pounds if it was to be used as milk, but only 45 cents per 100 pounds if it was going to wow. be used as butter. And it cost about 30 cents to transport that to the city. Okay. So, so that left very little. Yeah. So you can see why people are are upset about this. Mm -hmm. And there's the big issue here is essentially, like, what's caused this is, like, of course, the surplus and the yeah. depression and all this. But also, big chain stores had begun to pop up. Oh. Yes. So Crescent Creamery and City Milk no longer have a chokehold on milk yeah. in the city. Because these chain stores had begun to pop up with their own dairy processing plants. Oh. And what they were doing was selling milk at a loss to get people into their stores. Oh. So, fun fact, pet stores do with this with cat litter. Huh. Yeah. Like, sell it for actually less than it's worth. Hmm. Because then you're in the store and you buy other things. Yeah. Um, 
And so this had reduced in some producers even being forced to sell like below the cost of production. And for families for whom this is like their only income, that's kind of a big deal, right? So there's arguments between like stores and distributors over how much they can sell milk for. Mm -hmm. Like, can they sell milk for less than they're actually producing it for? Um, and, like, all these arguments about, like, can corner stores sell it for the same as Piggly Wiggly? <laughs> um, and Piggly Wiggly specifically stops there from being a proper agreement. Like, they're they're just not on board with, wow. any, with any kind of price regulation here. <laughs> oh, Piggly Wiggly. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, as a result of these debates, Manitoba is the first province to create a milk control board in 1932, <laughs> and they declare milk a public utility. Wow. Yeah. This means that the province is able to step in if there's any kind of, like, dispute or other issue affecting Keep Piggly Wiggly in line. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them striking drivers in line. Right? Like, it yeah. Is, like, that is, it's not explicitly said here, but that is kind of implied that they can now step in if there's a strike, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, they also have the power to regulate the price and can set both, like, a minimum price mm-hmm. to be paid to farmers, but also a maximum price uh, that consumers yeah. can be charged. Um, in 1937, also a separate Manitoba Milk Producers Marketing Board is created, so we're already getting on board with the with the marketing. <laughs> but yeah, there are like a ton of other milk strikes. Like it probably was a good call that we set up this thing with like making it a public utility because it's actually like a big deal during the 30s. <laughs> People just kept striking for milk yeah. reasons. Okay, so in 1933, a milk strike in Wisconsin resulted in one death as oh a result God. of like riots. Yeah. In 1929, a milk strike in La Chute, Quebec, led to physical fights between rival groups of milk producers. I'm trying not to laugh. I know! <laughs> Just like rival milk gangs. Rival milk gangs. It's like West Side Story. They've got, they've got these kind of, no, I don't no. know, I was going to use different names of types of cows. I didn't learn, I didn't learn the names of the cows, I'm sorry. What are you here for? <laughs> <laughs> I I got to those pages and I scrolled past them. You're just like I don't need to know any of this. No, cows are cows are nice. That's I don't need to know what kinds of <laughs> I don't need to know what kinds of cows make what kind of milk. <laughs> um, yeah, dairy farmers of Canada is also created in the 1930s. Okay, so I think also partly in response to these like fights between rival yeah. milk gangs, right? That they're like, no, 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 we're gonna make a united front. We're of, gonna stop this of dairy farmers. Yeah. Um, though it had a different name back then, that's what it's and um, called today. And there's basically like a repeat of that whole dispute actually in 1936, though, and it has to be settled oh, down again. Um, yeah, I can't tell you about all the strikes, but I do want to tell you just about one more, which is like way in the future, but it's one of my favorite headlines I've ever seen. Yeah, pants and arrays cancel dairy strike. <laughs> Pants? Pants. So this is in 1958. Over 300 local dairy workers have reluctantly accepted two pairs of pants each for driver salesmen and a $4 weekly pay boost all round and called off a threatened strike. Why do they need to give them pants? Okay. <laughs> so, That's a weird way to end a strike. It's like, you want pants? They had to provide their own pants. It, but like, <laughs> like, why? I don't know. Like, were they... And the, like, their union rep says, we think the pants deal is a good condition of our agreement with the companies. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> like, I think guess it's basically like providing your own uniform, right? Yeah, but like, was it, was it just like any kind of pants or was it like you need no, to... No, I think it was specific pants. That's... <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. when you have to buy like steel-toed shoes for yeah. like your work and it's kind of annoying. Cause, like, yeah. yeah. But instead it's 
pants. Extended pants. So they got instead two pairs of pre-pants. It's a good deal. Yep. <laughs> All right. So says Gordon Ritchie from the Union. <laughs> we'll trust him. Um. But yeah, people do complain that the Milk Control Act and like those controls had like kind of stopped negotiations yeah so i think that's why there continue to be strikes yeah because they basically can't negotiate wages very well when all the prices are regulated right yeah anyway um we'll we'll go back in time again that was just a, a fun thing i had to tell you about <laughs> well thank you um but yeah there's all kinds of um all kinds of marketing during this period of time um here's one from nestle for evaporated milk Wait, I'll show you the picture of the little baby. Oh, wait, there, there it is. Oh, it's it's just a little... What's he holding? Oh, he's holding a clock, it's too. It's a clock. There. Yes, it says, Tick, tick. A wide-awake, healthy little mite. Isn't he? Interested in everything. A typical Nestle's evaporated milk baby. <laughs> <laughs> typical babies. Typical babies. But everyone loves is a child that's really awake and ready to roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's also this ad from City Milk, which is just my favorite. Um starts encourage your children's dreams <laughs> it's super long i'm not going to read all of this oh you, wow that's no that's like, like paragraphs it's, yeah it's very long what does your boy want to be when he grows up a policeman a fireman a conductor a baseball pitcher a victorious general a banker a preacher a college professor a successful businessman <laughs> a lot of those things are very different careers a butcher a baker a candlestick maker yeah. <laughs> also there's no such thing as an unsuccessful businessman like I, yeah, like, it's very, only a victorious Chris general. general. Th that's in all caps, by the way. Or successful <laughs> businessman, also in caps. Weird. So those are the um, two, like, priority jobs yeah. for children. What does your daughter want to be when she grows up? Victorious a, general? A nurse, a dancer, mm. a pianist, an actress, a rich man's wife? <laughs> <laughs> a, no! An adorable mother? <laughs> Find out if you don't know. You will make a startling discovery. Healthy children dream constantly, and their dreams are always of strength, of beauty, these are all in caps, <laughs> of wisdom, of superiority, of power, of authority, of achievement, of a commanding situation in life, of popular applause. Um, so, the ch so, I'll skip a little bit yeah. here. Tell your child that the goal he craves can be reached only by a healthy, strong body. Um, full grown, and that such a body must be built by strict obedience to the laws of health. The chief preventative and cure of undernourishment is sufficient milk. Make it the first rule of your household that every child, in big text, must have from one and a half pints to a full quart of good, fresh, rich cow's milk each and every day. Huh. So, we're, <laughs> we're selling milk hard. I just don't feel like any of the famous generals we think of when we think of war were, like, drinking a pint of milk before battle. It seems like a thing that would really slow you down. Napoleon with a full liter of milk in front of him. <laughs> really guzzling it back. Yeah. He had it in, like, one of those, like, camel backpacks <laughs> on his horse. A little straw from the yeah. backpack to his mouth so he could drink while he rode. Don't let the man run out of his milk. You don't want to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I did have to keep looking up how much a pint and a quart was. <laughs> a quart, so a quart is about a liter of milk, yeah. and um, a pint is about two cups. So yeah. a full a full liter of milk per child per day. It's a lot of milk. It's a lot of milk. All right, so now getting into the Second World War. Um, first of all, milk for Britain is like a big thing yeah. to try and get milk to British children. Again, it's seen as this almost like cure all for like 
British children don't have sufficient nourishment. So, milk. milk. Which is funny because it's not necessarily the easily, the most easily transportable, like, calorie-rich food stuff. No. I guess in, like, evaporated forms it can yeah. be. So maybe that's part of it. But the Second World War definitely impacts our diets to, in similar ways to the First mm -hmm. World War, but just kind of, like, more so. Yeah. So, of course, there's, like, rationing mm -hmm. and labor and gas shortages. Um, oh, the People's Co-op even hires a woman to deliver milk for the first time in 1943. Ooh. Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> this is a quote from an oral history. She says, One morning a man was just going out of his garage when I happened to come along with the milk. He started stuttering to me about what I was doing in his yard at 6 a.m. But after he had seen the bottle of milk in my hand, his face sure changed color when he found out that his milkman was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so right. women are involved in making milk. Good for them. Great. Um, but as with the First World War, malnutrition, like we were saying, is seen as, like, a big problem and a public yeah. health threat. So for a number of reasons, right, soldiers aside, the company needs healthy labor yeah. from women as well as from mm -hmm. men now. And what's really interesting, though, is that the issue of malnutrition was mainly seen as one of education. Which you would think, having just come out of the Depression, it would be seen as more of an economic issue. But Yeah, you would think. But it seems like not so much. Hmm. It, it seems like the public health authorities were thinking it was more an issue of like, oh, people don't know what they should be consuming, right? Yeah. So in 1942, we get our first issue of the Canada Food Guide, oh. which is initially called Canada's Official Food Rules. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, yeah, the first official food rules identify six um, six food groups. And it's a lot more, this is a lot more specific than what we have right now. Here, yeah. I'll, I'll read. I feel like it's gotten vaguer as we've realized people have different dietary For needs. Sure. And not everyone can just assume a, consume a bunch of peanut butter. Yeah. That was really big when I, rem when I was growing up. It says here, these are the health protected food, health protective foods. Be sure you eat them every day in at least these amounts. Use more if you can. So for milk, adults, one half pint. That's a cup a day, which is yeah. pretty reasonable. Children, more than one pint. And some cheese, as available. Fruits, one serving of tomatoes daily, or of a citrus fruit, or of tomato or citrus fruit juices, and one serving of other fruits. Vegetables, in addition to potatoes, of which you need one serving daily. <laughs> okay. Two servings daily of vegetables, preferably leafy green or yellow and frequently raw. Cereals and bread, one serving of a whole grain cereal, and four to six slices of Canada-approved bread. Meat, fish, etc. One serving a day of meat, fish, or fish or meat substitutes, rather. Liver, heart, or kidney once a week. Okay. Gross. <laughs> and eggs, at least three or four eggs weekly. So this is all very specific. Yeah. Um, it says, eat these foods first, then add these and other foods you wish. And then also suggests um, some source of vitamin D. <laughs> okay which makes sense for us yeah um the problem though with this first edition was that it had to be written partly with wartime rationing in mind right yeah so this was in fact not quite what the canadian council on nutrition who had developed this considered the like ideal diet okay um notably it had a lot less milk than they wanted because of milk rationing yeah but in 1943 they kind of changed suit and the ccn declares that they will not take part in food lists based on existing supply nor expediency. They're basically saying, we're not going to do this thing where we tell you what you should eat based on rationing. We want to tell people what they should be eating okay. ideally. So 
1944, we get a new one. Okay. And this one tells Canadians to drink more milk to meet riboflavin requirements, but, like, again, due to wartime rationing, this wasn't actually necessarily possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in this one, adults are told to drink one half to one pint, and children one and a half pints to one quart. Hmm. That is a lot of milk, right? Yeah. Like, a liter of milk per child per day? If you've got two adults and whatever, three children, that's like one of those, like, four liter jugs yeah. of milk every day. Which is so much milk. That's a lot. Um, now, unsurprisingly, the dairy industry also supported this change. What? What? Tell they want people, people to, to buy milk? Twice as much milk? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, future editions also included, like, sample meal plans. Okay. Although, like, that's already almost a meal plan. Yeah. Um, but there were numerous issues with these early food rules. Yeah. So the suggestions were universal. First of all, yeah, um, right. Like that was a list of like you need one serving of potatoes, you need three to four eggs. It's all very specific. But not everyone needs the same amount of food or the same no, things. No, it's basically based on the diet of like an active man. Yeah, and so a lot of people said that they like simply couldn't eat as much food as it's suggested. Yeah. Like it's telling you to get like four to six slices of bread a day. It's a lot of bread. It's a lot of bread. I mean, if you're out, you know, working in a factory, that's probably not that much bread. But if yeah. you're not doing if you're doing an office job right if you're like a secretary or, or you're just a kid who doesn't like to run yeah <laughs> that sounded like it was from experience <laughs> maybe um it's also a very british centric diet yeah um especially in its emphasis on milk right and this made following it difficult for those from other backgrounds mm -hmm. um and this was not just an oversight to be clear this wasn't like eh, we just like think this is the best like this was based on a belief that this like british canadian diet was the best one because we all know about british food is it's really good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so a truly terrible ad is approved by nutrition services titled men without milk here i'll show you oh, no this runs in liberty magazine in both the canadian and american editions so i've got the american one here so you can see here, it says men without milk, and it's got this kind of, like, bow-legged Japanese soldier walking towards, like, a bombed-out town. Yeah. Oh, boy. It says, the short stature of the Japanese, their bowed legs, their frequent poor eyesight, are all blamed on inadequate diet, particularly lack of milk. But watch a six-foot Canadian truck driver eat his lunch. A whole bottle of milk. A pint or often a quart of it. Thick, wholesome slices of bread made with milk. Lots of butter spread on them, and a slab of cheese the size of a hand between them. The size of a hand? <laughs> <laughs> That's too much cheese. It's, it's a lot of cheese. <laughs> or watch an American schoolgirl or a secretary climb onto a soda fountain's, fountain stool and vanquish a chocolate malt or a dish of ice cream. <laughs> I, is that impressive? <laughs> I guess. That seems less impressive than the man with his enormous sandwich and liter of milk. Just um, someone having a nice little sip. Yeah. Canada drinks lots of milk. Canada likes the rich flavor <laughs> and tempting taste which milk and its products give to our food. Yeah, today our government asks us to make ourselves strong. And, uh, by drinking milk, apparently. That's so weird. It's... Yeah. Super... I don't know. I don't know if I've ever considered, like, the weird colonial racist aspect of milk. Of milk? Make... No. <laughs> yeah. No, me neither, but it's it's there for sure. Huh. It's I mean, that's a, a wartime ad, right? Which yeah. is why we're seeing that. I mean, almost every wartime ad is, is racist in some way. Absolutely. 
but it's very strange. Yeah. Right? It's just, like, it's racist and xenophobic, but also just, like, weird. Like, are we supposed to be impressed that a guy just eats a big sandwich? Yeah, apparently. Um, unfortunately, this history also gets a little bit darker here. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a, a content warning here that we're going to have some mention of, like, residential schools and uh, mm-hmm. pretty unhappy things if you want to skip ahead a bit. Um, so L.B. Pett, who is a central figure in developing the food rules, um, in the 40s and 50s, put together a series of dietary experiments carried out on malnourished indigenous children in residential schools. So essentially, he, you know, once it was sort of, I don't even want to say discovered that children in these schools were malnourished, because of course, course it it had to be known. Yeah. But essentially, once he found that out, he saw them as a group of test subjects whose diets could be fully controlled. It's like when you hear a group of kids are being malnourished, your thought shouldn't be, I know what I'm going to do about this. No. And like, you know, and and maybe if it was like, oh, well, like, let's feed better food and see if everyone improves, maybe. Except that some children's diets weren't changed because they Mm. were treated as a control group. So it's like, oh, we give these kids a bunch of milk and other food. But others were just going to like keep starving. It's really gross. It's gross. Um, others were also given this, like, experimental enriched flour that led to, like, illnesses. Oh, no. Yeah. So, it's not, yeah, it's not good. And, um, there is, um, also an episode of Unreserved about this with, I forgot to write down the name of it, but if you look up, like, Canada Food Guide and Unreserved, you'll find it. Um, CBC did a long article about it. Yeah. Not too long ago, because I had read about it when it came out. Yeah, there's a historian by the name of Ian Mosby, who yeah. actually wrote a lot of the, like, World War II stuff here mm-hmm. that I'm talking about. I got from um, his book on, like, our diets during World War II. Um, he has written an article about that. So, yeah, you could go listen to the podcast or, or read his article. But, yeah, so... LB Pet does gross things like that. Um, he also makes relationships with corporate partners, um, kind of returning to slightly less horrifying yeah. history. Um, so they basically begin to create free advertising, including like a nutrition booklet featuring Blondie and Popeye. And there becomes like a kind of symbiotic relationship where like the food rules are getting free advertising yeah. from this, but like so is milk. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's also like, Dairy producers are also getting the legitimacy of having, like, a government agency behind mm-hmm. milk. Um, nutrition services and CCN also decide at one point to create an official approval crest to try to prevent, like, misleading ads. Okay. Right? Because we've seen all these, like, ones from, like, City yeah. Milk and Crescent Creamery. But it turns out they basically, like, don't have the time or resources or budget <laughs> to actually do that. Okay. So they, like, make it and then almost never do it. <laughs> But the Men Without Milk one was approved. Great. So, yeah. Thanks, CCN. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to the war. So between 1939 and 1943, milk consumption rose by about 18%, like across wow. the country, despite rationing. So this is due partly to full employment, right? Yeah. So this is going back to what I was saying about it not necessarily being... Um, an educational issue that people were malnourished, right? It's that people couldn't afford to... People couldn't afford food. Yeah. Um, The war also politicizes food for a lot of people in an interesting way. Like, especially women who were forced to make do during the Depression and then during the war. Yeah. 
So the period during and after the war is characterized by, like, a lot more kind of consumer demands. Yeah. Like, the public is demanding certain types of food at certain price points as well. Mm -hmm. These, like, staple foods. And also, we've been told by the government now, we should eat these staple foods. We need to be able to have access to yeah. them. Um, here's just kind of a fun aside about rationing. In one case, a shortage of condensed milk in Winnipeg was traced back to a wartime Tribune recipe for mock whipped cream. <laughs> so we wanted whipped everyone cream. was all over this whipped cream apparently <laughs> we wanted whipped cream so bad how many people went out to buy the A ingredients lot, that guess. caused that problem yeah i don't know but um yeah in fact in a 1943 poll 44 percent of respondents said that the government should run essential industries including milk bread meat and fuel huh so after the war, another issue is that price ceilings, which had been in place during yeah. the war, are now removed on a lot of these staple foods, yeah. including milk. So this leads to protests by groups such as the Housewives uh, Consumer Association. Mm -hmm. They had protests kind of across the country, yeah. including in Winnipeg, as prices rose. But then there's this interesting thing where prices are kind of rising overall, and then Safeway steps in and basically single-handedly disrupts milk prices. <laughs> okay. So we're doing it again. Yeah. So we're going back to the 1930s with the Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. <laughs> the old Piggly Wiggly strategy, yeah. I understand. <laughs> so the province has done away with some controls over milk prices. Yeah. But they make this recommendation, which, like, you know, you yeah. know how those work. They make a recommendation that milk should not be sold below the price of production. Okay. So as not to put, like, non-chain stores out yeah. of business, right? Yeah. But Safeway, because they own their own processing plant, they kind of fudge their production costs. Oh. Yeah. So they're st continuing yeah. to sell it essentially at a loss. Oh, my despite, God. And, like, they're not rules anyway. They're yeah. just, like, recommendations, yeah. right? Um, but on top of, like, cars and refrigeration, that virtually ends home milk delivery. Yeah, that'd do it. Because who wants to keep paying for milk to be delivered to their home? Yeah. When it's so much cheaper at the Safeway or the Piggly Wiggly? Yeah. I wonder when we stopped having a Piggly Wiggly. I don't know. Because, like, they still exist in other places. Yeah. Anyway. There's one in the movie uh, When a Date with Tad Hamilton. No. Oh. For any people who like sort of mediocre mid-2000s rom-coms. <laughs> I think I did see that back in the day. It's not great. No. <laughs> but you could win a date. With Tad well. Hamilton. Yeah, but the thing is that Topher Grace is supposed to be the real catch in that movie. Well, but like, who's Tad Hamilton? Josh Duhamel? Yeah. Yeah, he's a catch. But then she's like, no, I'm not going to date Tad Hamilton. I'm going to date this guy that works at the Piggly Wiggly with me. Oh, and it's Kate Bosworth? I think so. Wow, I'm, I must have seen this. <laughs> yeah, this is more knowledge than I thought you would have on Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. I've seen everything. <laughs> Um, very different movie watching histories, you and I, Nick. <laughs> well, Alex has never seen anything except for the filmography of one Russian director, apparently. <laughs> Watched every film by Leonid Gaidai, and that is all. <laughs> Most of them more than once. Um, not, not for like, <laughs> when I wrote, wrote essays, it wasn't like. It just makes you sound like a real specific hipster. Yeah. I only watch. It's not like I, it's not like I think those are the only good films. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah. I found out where the Piggly Wigglies went. Oh, where'd they yeah. go? Um, okay, no, it just says, like, oh, it tells me, like, what is what now, like, oh. 
One is like there's one on Grosvenor, and that's now a restaurant. Oh. Um, one is a demolished question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Some classic Winnipeg history that oh. like we're like yeah. demolished maybe. <laughs> Weird. Um, Someone has to go there and look at the site. Yeah. In 1935, a majority of this company's assets were acquired by Safeway Stores Limited, and some stores were closed to be re- reopened as other businesses. Others have been converted to Safeway by the late 1930s, and this is from the Manitoba Historical Society. So hey. this is why the Safeway is using the old Piggly Wiggly strategy. <laughs> there you go. They bought out the Piggly Wiggly strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, this period, though, is probably also, like, the closest we get to, like, a national school milk yeah. or school lunch program, mm-hmm. which is what the CCN begins lobbying for at this point. Okay. So the same people who made the Canada Food Guide are saying we should have free lunches or subsidized lunches, at least, yeah. including milk for children in schools. So in the U.S., they had created a school um, a school lunch program. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been all that strange for us to follow suit, yeah. right? Like we did in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Um, but despite this having a ton of popular support and being lobbied for by the Canadian Council yeah. for Nutrition, federal politicians didn't like the plan. Because it would cost them money? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, like many of them got out of it by claiming either just like, oh, there are more important issues right now in like the post-war yeah. era, I guess. Or there was this existing thing called, like, the Family Allowances Plan, which okay. I think was just, like, here's money. Yeah. Um. So many of them basically said, like, that's enough for people to buy grocery staples. We don't need to do more. The problem with that was that the plan wasn't actually pegged to inflation. So, like, yeah. pretty quickly in the years after the war, it kind of... It just out- becomes useless. Yes, it just kind of outlives its usefulness. And also, I think, like, malnutrition had kind of lost its, like, trendiness as, like, a cause du jour, you know? Yeah. Like, the political will just wasn't there. Like, there mm-hmm. was popular support, but it was kind of like, and eh, we're not so worried about, like, the strong yeah. soldiers anymore now that we're not fighting. Can have sickly children. Who yeah. cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, like, a period kind of before the war and during it when mm-hmm. we were like, oh, like, children are malnourished and we should do something about it. And then after the war, we're like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> well. We'll figure it out. They'll probably be fine. (laughs) Um, But that lobbying does continue over the decades to try to create some kind of school milk program. Mm -hmm. So in 1959, the Dairy Farmers of Manitoba is formed. They're the ones who will eventually give us Milk Spirit Week. Okay. In the 1962 election, all three parties promised a school milk program at the federal level. Wow. um, Which would have been in addition to... um, a solution to like malnutrition and feeding children was part of a solution to like a dairy and agricultural surplus at the time. Mm-hmm. So similarly to in the 1930s where like government mm-hmm. is kind of stepping in not to be like stop making more milk than we need to be yeah. like how do we use this milk instead? Yeah. Which is really interesting, right? Yeah. We're like I don't know, just drink more of it maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um so in 1963 the liberals win. And they had promised the yeah. milk program, but they lost in rural areas. <laughs> so, some classic politician nonsense. They drop a bunch of their, like, farmer-friendly policies, oh. including the school milk program, which would have provided this, like, stable um, consumer, right, yeah. for milk. Um, they also drop, like, minimum wheat prices and other yeah. things like that. Um in 1967, delegates to the um, Canadian Federation of Agriculture also recommended a national school milk program to contribute to the health of school children. Um, 
Now, the same year, there's kind of some more milk economic stuff here. I'm sorry. (laughs) So the federal government raises a subsidy for butterfat at the same time that Ontario and Quebec get rid of some of their, like, provincial subsidies. Okay. So what this means is just that dairy farming is more profitable in Manitoba now. Okay. So this subsidy leads to the creation of that, um, of a milk plant in St. Claude. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which was, like, huge. Yeah. Um... So there's just a lot more local. Is that not now. where the Dairy Museum is? Yes, it is. Have yeah. you been to the Dairy Museum? No, but you sent me a postcard from the Dairy I Museum did. when you were in Japan? <laughs> I went to Japan. And I, yes, I did. I bought it in St. Claude and took it all the way to Japan to send back to you. It's a good prank every what? time you do it. <laughs> where else did I send you a postcard from? Is I don't it... remember. I can't remember. Brandon or something? I think so. Yeah. I've gotten a few from you from like different <laughs> small museums while you've been off on trips. <laughs> I'm very funny. <laughs> um... <laughs> so in 1972 the national farmers union also suggests a national milk program so all the farmers yeah. are on board they're like yeah well why wouldn't they be well, well of course right yeah it's going to be a ton more stability for yeah. them if they don't have to deal with like the ebbs and flows of do people want milk right yeah. now it's just like yep all the kids get milk um but the first school milk program in canada was in 1974 in nova scotia okay so this is when we first start getting them um, there's also, like, a lot of kind of, like, health concerns at this point. Like, this is when, and I remember this being a controversy when I was a kid as well, mm-hmm. but there's concern about, like, junk food and, like, soft drinks and yeah. chocolate bars, like, being in vending machines in schools. Yeah. Do you remember that being a thing? I mean, kind of. I don't know. We had, like, a vending machine. I don't remember having very exciting snacks in it. Ari's got, yeah. Like, I remember when my... Like, my, my older sister and I are quite far apart, so I remember yeah. when she went to school, there was, like, soda. Yeah. And then when I went to the same school, it had been swapped out for, like, Gatorade. I mean, the thing is, my school was not, like, and, like too... vitamin water. I went to school in a small town. There's a gas station, like, I don't know, a five-minute walk away. It's like, if you really wanted junk food, you just go walk to the Petro down the road. It's funny you say that, because that was an argument from a lot of people who were like, if we take it out of schools, kids will just go buy it at the Which Petro is essentially what road. happened yeah. at my school, and that, like... During grade seven, eight, I think we bought out every pixie stick in the town. <laughs> like, I think the truck stop on the outskirts of town still had some left, but everyone else is like, you bought all the pixie sticks. We don't have any more. We don't know what to tell you. Uh, You're such a bad kid, Sabrina. Well, it wasn't me. It was just like the entire grade. But this would have been like, I don't know, 30 of us? My grade's not that big. Uh, imagine being the adult in that store and just having to, like, straight face sell these well, kids. Well, probably what it was is a bunch sticks. of people who were, like, four or five years older than us who were working a minimum wage job being like, uh, not the middle schoolers. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, same. When I was in middle school, I was, like, right by, like, a convenience store and a McDonald's and a grocery yeah. store. So, yeah, people went to all of them until we got banned from the McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, not me personally, mm-hmm. collectively as a school. <laughs> Yeah, we never got banned from anywhere. I think someone stole one of their signs and it was a whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, so there's um yeah, these kind of concerns about yeah. kids eating too much junk food. There's research that children were like suffering from poor nutrition and this yeah. was affecting their learning. So I guess a school milk program again is seen as part of a solution yeah. to this. So um we do have at this point a school milk program in the Frontier School Division. Okay. But just just in that hmm. school division. And so there begins to be the suggestion that we should expand that. Yeah. 
And we do kind of get programs where, like, milk is being sold in schools, mm -hmm. like, within different school boards. It does start to ex expand a little bit. It's not, like, free milk, which I yeah. think was the idea in, like, the post-war era, yeah. where, like, kids will get, like, free or subsidized yeah. milk or, or food. Um, that being said, in 1974, the Winnipeg School Board did spend $12,000 subsidizing milk for children. So suppliers had raised the cost, and the school board basically decided to subsidize the tw the seven cent difference to keep the cost at ten cents. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. So this is like kind of a school milk yeah. program. Yeah. And so this is kind of a controversy about oh. whether we should be expanding this program of like subsidized yeah. milk or even just like milk being available yeah. in schools. So the 70s seems to be the time that we, like, start having these school milk programs, but also simultaneously the first time we start seriously debating whether milk is, in fact, nature's most perfect food. <laughs> so that's, like, close to 100 years of just being, like, obviously milk rules. Yeah. And for the first time in the 70s, we're like, well, maybe it's only fine. <laughs> maybe we don't need it. Yeah. So it's funny that they're pushing milk so hard when it's, like, I don't know, just, like, feed kids. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's odd that this is seen as like the solution to like children because it's like point A is like children are undernourished. Cool. Point B, give them milk, and it's kind of like I'm not quite sure how we got from there's one to the other. Some, there's a middle point where it's like I don't know. Give them like an apple and a banana. Yeah, and some water. They can also have some milk, maybe. But yeah. like, why is that the one thing that we're talking about? Because also, I feel like if I was like really hungry, a glass of milk isn't going to make me feel full. <laughs> no. No. That wouldn't... I would just now have milk in my system. I wouldn't be full. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I don't know why it's not kind of... I guess it's maybe just that, like, maybe the dairy farmers just had their act together more than the other uh, <laughs> other lobbyists yeah. here. I don't know. But, um, yeah, the Manitoba Medical Association in 1975 writes a letter to the Winnipeg School Board advising it not to expand its school milk oh. program because children already drink too much milk. Is what they say. Oh, so we've pivoted to they don't have enough to they've had too much. Yes. So the Manitoba Medical Association also says that this is like what I was saying before. They say that basically banning vending machines in school isn't going to do anything. Yeah. Kids are going to go elsewhere. And that education is a better approach yeah. to um, to feeding kids, which I don't know. Maybe. But like, I mean, kids can't buy their own food. Yes. So. I mean, there's like this perfect point when you're a teenager at which you have a little bit of money to buy junk food, but don't yet have the adult intelligence not to buy junk food. Oh. And it's the best. Oh, it's a real heyday, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're drinking a big gulp every day. Yeah. Your parents don't know about it. Just a ludicrous amount of sugar going yeah. into your system every day. And maybe kids need that. I don't know. Just a little bit of like a wild time where it's like, I'm going to eat... I'm going to have a slushy for lunch every day and no one can stop me. <laughs> then you get a little bit older and you're like, oh, now I get sick when I do that. <laughs> if I have a single small big gulp, yeah. I feel like I'm going to die for the rest <laughs> of the day. <laughs> Got like heart palpitations <laughs> from the sugar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, also, like, if a kid's bringing in, I don't know if your school's like this too, but when we brought in stuff from home, there would be, like, a barter system, like... Oh, totally. If you had, like, the Pringles thing, you could trade it for a two-bite brownie. And... I think I've probably <laughs> talked about this, like, on... I probably talked about this, like, on the podcast before even, but one of the best years of my life was when one of my friends at school um, decided she really liked my mom's bran muffins. Because <laughs> I came from, like, a weird health food family. Yeah. And so I could trade her every day for something actually good. <laughs> I don't think you've told that story before. Have I not? No. Oh, man. It was so good. <laughs> but, yeah, like, there's all sorts of ways kids are going to acquire yeah. food they should not eat. Yeah. We definitely, or that's like, not, like, great for them. We were definitely also told not to trade food. 
Yeah, but like, who's gonna like? No. Yeah. Who supervises kids that much to be like? You didn't have those Pringles before. <laughs> Is that your brand muffin? <laughs> <laughs> you don't think anyone's gonna call you on training a brand muffin? No. One time we all got held in the class because it would be like we were in grade two and a grade seven kid would watch us right yeah. in our classroom, mm-hmm. and someone threw out a peanut butter sandwich. Oh. And we're like, who threw out the, the guy or whatever was like, who threw out their lunch? And no one was saying anything. And then this kid, Alan, puts his hand up and he goes, I'm allergic to peanut butter. And he goes, okay, Alan, you can go outside and play. Everyone else has to sit here. And no one else gets to go out until they admit that they threw out their lunch. And to my recollection, no one admitted. And we just sat there in silence <laughs> oh for like God. the whole lunch recess. Yeah. That one kid, was he actually allergic or was he just very Oh, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love that this seventh grader just went mad with power there. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he could have sent all these kids outside to play and not have to deal with them anymore. That's true. <laughs> but it was like, oh, like... uh, no, I'm in charge. <laughs> Wild, That's funny because you just, you just made me remember that when I was in sixth grade, I used to go supervise the kindergartners during lunch. And I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't seem like it should have been allowed. <laughs> they didn't let us do that. Oh. When I was in high school, I was part of student council, though, and I would go help with like the breakfast club and serve food to the younger oh, yeah. kids in the mornings. But yeah. like that was lots of a supervising role, more just like giving out plates to children and then making sure they were like eating things and yeah. not causing problems that's different than being like the supervisor I and there were like, teachers in the room with us it wasn't just us yeah. and then these children we often had like parent chaperones at lunch yeah. so they would like go from class to class and kind of check in so it wasn't yeah. only sixth graders i guess <laughs> i did also go home for lunch for a while because i lived in a small oh, town yeah. and i could just go to my house yeah i did that too went home and watched the oj trial good times <laughs> That might be the most dated thing you've yeah. ever said. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I used to I'm go old. home in, in in middle school. I'd go home and I'd watch, like, I only had, like, five channels. We had, like, the rabbit ears, right? Yeah. I'd watch this really bad, like, yard makeover show where every single time, every single time they got rid of the grass. Yeah. I think I'd prefer the OJ trial. Yeah, I think so. Just every single time they were like, put down concrete or like wood chips or something. They hated grass. I don't know. There was also this game show called Talk About that okay. would play at lunchtime. Okay. And it was just a guy with like two sets of teams. And the guy would be like, the host would be like, talk about milk. And then you'd be like, okay, it's white. It's wet. And like, that was the game. Huh. Is it just, is it just describing things? It was. But, like we would watch that at lunch. Huh. Yeah. Um, Good times. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the Manitoba Medical Association, basically, they also make kind of the the quite radical claim that there's no evidence of general undernutrition in the Winnipeg School Division. That seems wrong. I mean, I like, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't looked at the papers and the research, yeah. but like, surely some kids were undernourished and it can't hurt to, to... give kids food. No. Like... Oh no, we've overnourished the children. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know what that could hurt to make food available mm. to children, but I guess I guess maybe the issue is like just making milk available is not necessarily helping. No, I I mean yeah, that's not going to like solve a lot of problems. No, being there. like here is milk and no soft like no soft drinks. No. <laughs> um but so Tribune staff writer Rosalie Woloski writes in the Tribune arguing back and she cites this prominent nutritionist at the time, Adele Davis. Okay. And her opinion that adults should drink at least four glasses of milk a day and children even more. So here's a couple of quotes. Calcium can be as soothing as a mother, as relaxing as a sedative, and as life-saving as an oxygen tent. And when this mineral is undersupplied, nerves become tense and you become grouchy. 
The calcium deficient person wastes energy and his nervous tension and inability to relax induce fatigue out of all proportion to the work he actually does. So there's other ways to get calcium. They know that, right? Apparently not. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Rosalie in her editorial um, recommends a quart of milk per child per day. So again, that's a full Mm -hmm. liter of milk, which must be subsidized so families can afford it. Because that is a lot of milk to buy. Yeah, no. I mean, sure, if they want to say you have to drink it, they should pay for it. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Adele Davis, though, because she's wild. <laughs> like, Yeah? Yeah. So she was this, yeah, very prominent nutritionist at this time. This is the 70s, right? So I'm assuming it's yes. going to be some kind of weird nonsense. It's like, she just really liked milk. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so she was in favor. The amount of people you've encountered in this episode who are so gung-ho. <laughs> For milk is so bizarre to me. It wasn't even that hard to find them, like people. <laughs> um, so she was in favor of whole foods with a lot of vitamins, especially mm-hmm. she was like big on like vitamin B. I feel okay. like that can sometimes be like a funny pseudoscience-y thing. Yeah. People are like really big into vitamin B. So she was against formulas or bottle feeding, which is an mm-hmm. interesting diet. Like, yeah, shift away from yeah from yeah. the the feeding the kids uh, all the cow's milk. Mm-hmm. She believed milk was the most practical form of B vitamins and said that almost every person who drinks less than one quart of milk a day has a vitamin B2 deficiency. She believed also that good nutrition could fix poor eyesight in some cases and that milk is such a valuable food that a quart daily should be drunk by each person regardless of age. A full chapter in one of her books is called Milk Cannot Be Overemphasized. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, she said a lack of milk could cause insomnia and nervousness, and that one should learn to enjoy the taste of milk and drink it with meals and between meals as a substitute for water. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope, drink water. (laughs) Specifically raw, unpasteurized milk. Nope. Okay, like, okay. She also suggested on top of your full quart of milk every day, using as much milk as possible in cooking and baking, such as by using powdered and and evaporated milk. This is a diet, for the record, that would kill my entire family. (laughs) Um, she, there are also a couple of, um, insane recipes that she suggests. Yeah. Um, Okay, one here. This one seems to be kind of like a dessert. It's one cup of milk, one quarter cup of powdered milk, and one half to one cup of vanilla ice cream, plus sugar and vanilla flavoring. It's like a lot of milk, but not too much. Is that just like a milkshake? Basically, but with extra milk. Like, also powdered milk. Yeah, what I want is like a soupier milkshake. Is it like kind of like, is it kind of like a protein shake almost? I don't know. I guess. Um, she also gives a recipe for pep up, which is for breakfast. Okay. This is one cup milk two eggs, one tablespoon vegetable oil, 1.5 tablespoons calcium lactate, half a teaspoon magnesium chloride, half a cup of yogurt, half a cup of yeast, half a cup of powdered milk, and half a cup of frozen fruit juice. Are you mixing this all together? or And and then drinking it, I think. Oh. I don't know if you drink, like, I don't know if this is a recipe for... Like a bad smoothie? Or like... like, (laughs) I don't know if this is for multiple people or one person. I think for one person, but that's so... When you mentioned like milk and eggs, I'm like, okay, like a scrambled egg. I get this. And then... No, it's just in... Like, I think it's just in a cup and you drink it all. Huh. Yeah. I mean, you can do that, I guess. (laughs) But I love that we've got like... We've got milk, powdered milk, and yogurt to make sure that we're getting all the kinds of milk. But then also eggs and fruit juice? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Though, oddly, she did recommend tolerance for, like, vegetarians and vegans and religious oh. restriction and such, which was oh, okay. surprising. Um, she said, There are other food restrictions and taboos which may seem odd, but remember that some of our own food choices appear strange to others. So be tolerant of others' habits, and they will respect yours. Fair point. Okay. All right. Um, just a fun aside also that she wrote a book under the pseudonym Jane Dunlap called Exploring Inner Space about her experiences taking LSD. <laughs> this sounds like a very interesting person. Yes. I think that's undeniable, <laughs> regardless of how much milk you want to drink. <laughs> um, okay. So Dr. J.C. Hayworth from the Health Sciences Center writes in response to this, points out that milk is a good food. But neither perfect nor necessary. Finally, someone's like, milk is fine. <laughs> yeah, that's basically exactly what he's saying. He says, it has long been a tenet of North American culture that milk is necessary for health. But as the American Academy of Pediatrics has recently emphasized, milk is not an essential food for anyone whose diet is otherwise adequate. He points out that the nutrients found in milk can also be found in other foods. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Says well-fed children who drink no milk have have just as healthy bones and teeth as those who drink milk. And he points out as well, this is like, I was like, what a voice of reason. <laughs> points, points out as well that plenty of people in Africa and Asia have perfectly healthy diets with very little milk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, obviously. I'm like, what? You're not even, you're not even racist? Maybe. <laughs> no, that's incredible. Actually, that's a real... Real trifecta of good points from someone, and we don't normally get those. Yes. <laughs> what a brush of fresh air, fresh air for us. Yeah. Um, we do, however, ignore that and make school milk programs anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, a school milk program is started later that year for children and communities in northern Manitoba, as well as inner city schools. So, like, it's, yeah, I'm kind of torn about that, because, like, yeah. it probably is good that, like, yeah. there's more nutrition being given, but... It probably just needs to be a little more well-rounded, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess the issue is, like, if you're not giving... If your solution to malnutrition is to be like, what if we put everything in one drink? Yeah. As opposed to, like, how do we, like, fix this in yes. a normal way? Yeah, I guess maybe it's an easy solution, right? If we're like, oh, here's the one perfect food, right. then if everyone has it, then And then we fine. don't have to be like, well, maybe we should consider, like, different needs yeah, from different, like, like, schools and people and stuff. And Whereas... maybe you eat different things on different days sometimes, <laughs> even. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that would be, like, the easy solution. Yeah. But it's not really anything. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, like, so Canada is today, um, I think, the only G7 country that doesn't have a national school lunch program. Really? Yeah. Huh. So we probably do actually need something. Yeah. But it's, like, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not just the milk. <laughs> maybe milk and other things. Yeah. Just, like, a vegetable? Yeah. So in 1980, though, the conservative provincial government essentially repeals provincial price control over milk, which had existed now since, like, the 30s. Yeah. So this, like, virtually eliminates smaller competitors mm -hmm. who can't keep up on price. Um, and school milk programs throughout the 80s and into the 90s become pretty much ubiquitous, right? Mm -hmm. did, your, did your school have a, a milk program? Um, I don't remember if we did. I We got a milk-to-go vending machine. This was... Okay. We were talking about this at, like... A dinner the other day. Oh, we're, yeah. Because my cousin and I went to school together, and she remembers getting it, too. We were just like, oh, my God, the milk-to-go machine. Because <laughs> she liked the orange one, because she has horrible taste. Oh, yeah. Awful. Also, why I did, would they make that? <laughs> I did buy myself a strawberry milk-to-go the other day. Yeah. I haven't had one in a long time. But I don't remember us getting a lot of, like, free milk. We might have, but I no, might not have had it. We didn't. we didn't get free milk. We had, like, we had a system where... 
um, we'd like buy like a sheet of tickets. I think it oh. must have been subsidized in some way. Yeah. I don't know. We had like a, a sheet of tickets that we'd buy at the beginning of each month. And each day we'd take one of those tickets oh. and, tur- no, we didn't turn it in, and turn it in for milk. Like we'd go out into the hallway no. and we'd all line up and get milk. No. Uh, when we had high school, there was like a cafeteria that there would be like a sign up sheet everywhere. You could pay like $5 and get like a taco salad from the canteen. Oh, yeah. But I don't think that came with milk. And then no. in the mornings, we had, like, a breakfast program that I would help oh, yeah. volunteer run. So I mean, that's probably more useful. Yeah, we had apples and bananas and, like, yeah. juice and cereal, and then there was milk. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think they ever just let us get tickets for milk. We could, though. We could get taco salad. Yeah. Which is a pretty sweet deal when you're 16. Yeah, so apparently Morris did not have a school milk program, but... Um, no, which is so weird, considering it's such, like, yeah. a farm community, and we're just like, eh. It is interesting. Yeah, but... um. So, yeah, we get more and more of these I will say we programs, might have, and I don't remember but it. But never, yeah, no, it's, like, never universal. It's yeah. just in, like, specific schools and specific yeah. school districts. Um, but overall, despite this, um, milk sales had been declining over the last couple of decades by okay. the 90s. Yeah. So there are, like, maybe a few reasons for this. Um, I was reading this, like, report from, <laughs> from like, an agricultural forum You've in You've done so much milk-based reading. It's really stupid. <laughs> So a couple things they suggested was that um, there was, like, this trend for, like, low-carb diets, right? And, like, most of the things that you drink milk with are, like, carbs. Yeah. Right? If you're having, like, a peanut butter sandwich, that's what you have milk with. People were also um, eating less breakfast. Yeah. Right? You're just kind of running out of the door with a cup of coffee and eating out more often. Yeah. Like, you don't really order a glass of milk at a restaurant. Unless you get a chocolate milk at a Denny's. I did. (laughs) Yeah. One of our (laughs) friends did do that last week. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I had my birthday at a Denny's. (laughs) Nice. It was pretty good. Um, There are also just, like, more milk alternatives available. Yeah. Like, I I was drinking goat's milk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I think probably as a result of this, in the 90s, dairy farmers start to take on a bigger hand in advertising. Ah. So in 1993, for instance, we get the get the Got Milk campaign. Yes. Yeah. So that's a big deal, right? That's yeah. begun in California. And here in Manitoba, we get Milk Spirit Sweet. Week. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty clever, yeah. actually, right? That you get kids in the habit of drinking milk and then hopefully and they continue doing as milk-based games. Well, okay. So the first record I found of Milk Spirit Week was in 1992. Okay. In Russell, Manitoba. So oh, yeah. so it definitely wasn't just a Winnipeg thing. Yeah. It's it's something that's been kind of all across the province. And so it's associated with the Dairy Farmers of Manitoba's school milk program. And what they do is they give kind of like this whole kit with things like so they give, like, posters, but also, like, access to grants to schools who make milk available at least three times a week. Okay. So this is their program. Like, they're not necessarily providing the milk. They're just saying, like, if you... If you do this, we can help. If you do this, yeah. we can help. So um, they say, milk at lunch helps provide the energy and nutrients students need to grow and perform their best physically and mentally. The school milk program encourages elementary and high school students to develop the healthy habit of drinking milk every day at school by making it fun and rewarding. So, I guess the the fun and rewarding thing is... Can win a big old inflatable cow. Every parent's dream. Yeah, so they provide (laughs) things like like milk tickets, right? Which is what I was saying we had, as well as, like, class lists and, like, contacts. And, like, they'll help with, like, the administration of your program if you're doing this. Um, And it's an interesting kind of, like, corporate partnership. So, it is supported by, like, Lucerne, Parmalat, and Saputo and Dairyland Home Service. 
but also endorsed by Physical and Health Education of Manitoba, the Manitoba Association of Home Economics, and Dietitians of Canada. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Though, like, I don't know the extent to which those are also, like, corporate-supported yeah. groups. I don't actually know. Um, But, yeah, so basically, if your school is a participant in this milk um, in the school milk program, they give you a school milk program kit, which can be used to run a milk spirit week at a time of your choice. <laughs> so it's got a, it's a box with kind of all the stuff inside and you kind of use it how you see fit. So, um, some of the activities that are suggested. Ooh, I'm excited for this. <laughs> include milk moustache. <laughs> okay. Where I guess you just like, you, you like wear a milk moustache to school with like. All day? Well, with like paint, I guess, or whatever. Mm, like, yeah. Um, black and white day. That's where you like dress up in black and white yeah. like a cow. Um, crafts with cartons of various kinds. Sure. Um, oh, this was a big one. Mystery, <laughs> mystery mooer. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we had cartons of milk. Yeah. And one of them supposedly, or like probably a few, had a little like, like, you know, when you open a birthday card and it yeah. has a, and it has like a song. Yeah. Like that, but it would moo. Okay. And if you get a mooing milk carton, you win a prize. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I remember this being a big deal because my one of my good friends opened her carton of milk and she was like, oh, I heard it moo. Did you hear it? And I was like, wanted to be like cool and fit in. So I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely heard it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. I thought it'd be like a fun game where like you close your eyes and someone moves and you have to guess who did it. So that, then the okay. reveal of like you open um, a carton of milk and it might make a noise is kind of underwhelming. No, we were all like we all wanted our carton to move so bad. <laughs> um, this is such a surreal version of Spirit Week you're presenting me with where like I would just show up in pajamas and there um, would be no games. There's Find the Hidden Cow, which is where like a picture of a cow is hidden somewhere in the school and if you're like the first to spot it, you get a prize. Um, Farmer Friday, dress up like a farmer. Okay, sure. Milk carton bowling. Um, oh, the Professor Cow Contest. So (laughs) You say all of these things as if it's like, yeah, obviously Mystery Mooer. (laughs) The game we've all played. Okay, I actually have a very upsetting memory associated with it. I didn't realize how, like, important Milk Spirit Week was to you. It was important at our school, but no, I have a really, like, distressing memory associated with the Professor Cow Contest. Okay. So, when I was in fourth grade, we had, we had this really mean teacher. Yeah. And I, so, what, I should explain what the contest is first. Please. Okay. Um, each class makes a cow costume for their teacher. Okay. And then at, like, we had, like, a talent show at the end of the week, but however they did it. At the end, um, all the teachers come out and, you know, you cheer and decide who's in the best cow costume. Mm-hmm. And then, like, your class gets a prize. So we made this costume. And I remember I worked really hard to make this, like, cow nose out yeah. of, like, this little kind of, like, I don't know, it must have been, like, a yogurt container yeah. or something. And worked really hard on it. And then our teacher, who was, like, kind of a spoil sport, was like, I don't want to dress up as a cow. <laughs> and like refused to do it huh wow and i was a very sensitive child <laughs> i was super upset so she was like well like one of the boys in our class can do it and i was like no so i tore apart the notes that i had made <laughs> <laughs> and then of course you regretted it because like you know as you do see the fundraiser our school would do is you could 
there would be like two ice cream pails in the hallway at lunch and you could put money in for whichever teacher you want to see get pied in the face and at the end of the week you could pie that teacher in the face oh that sounds fun i would have oh liked it ruled. To, i would have liked to pie madame stedman in the face uh it was great every year <laughs> um maybe i shouldn't have said her name <laughs> Um, I'm, I mean, it was fourth grade. Maybe she wasn't even mean. <laughs> Maybe you were just sensitive. Maybe I was just sensitive. See, our fifth grade teacher was super mean. And then one year it was her and her other teacher in five, six. Yeah. That were up for like the pie in the face. And everyone's like, we don't like her. Yeah. So we, so obviously the mean teacher won the pie contest. And yeah. I remember the kid that went up to pie her in the face really like pushed it oh, in man. and then like up to make sure it got in the nose. Oh yeah. And the nostrils. Yeah. Oh, she was a she was a good sport about it. She just sucked in every other aspect of her job. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's um, they they call all the they call all the prizes milk reminders. <laughs> so there's like yeah, that's what you want. It's a, it's a prize. Yeah. So it's like cow notepads or like pencil cases. Yeah. Um, keychains. Um, apparently now they do reusable straws. Huh. And I think for, like, the older kids, there's, like, toques. They still do this? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. wow. <laughs> yes, this is absolutely still a thing that is... Huh. Like, yeah. Milk Spirit Week still exists. All right. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I searched it, and my old school division still does Milk Spirit Week. Wow, like, okay. as of, like, 2020. Huh. Um... Yeah, and then throughout the week, there are also spirit bucks that you can get for, like, <laughs> whatever. For... <laughs> and you, um, yeah, you, like, fill these out and they get put in a draw. And then if you win, you get the big cow. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's Milk Spirit Week. Um, to bring us kind of a little bit up to date yeah we're still doing milk spirit week all right but 2007 um the canada food guide that year was the first that i could find to include a fortified soy beverage as an alternative to milk so we've definitely stepped yep. a little bit away from milk um and it's currently like a plate hey yeah. have you seen the new one yes yeah so it's less like eat these specific foods and... well it's not like the pyramid anymore yes right? it's more like eat a variety of healthy foods which might or might not be milk. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, we no longer feed babies cow's milk. Yes, yeah. because we should not. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's milk spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. I don't know. I'm Milk spirit week is still so weird to me. <laughs> This didn't explain it to you, Sabrina? <laughs> I don't know what more I can do to make it make no, sense. It's just, it's just <laughs> it was like happening in this province and I just I made it like twenty-eight years. And then apparently someone else having a very different spirit week experience. I would I would love to hear from other people who also did milk spirit week at their schools. I mean I would too, because so far all I know is Alex did it and it's like, did she is this just like an Alex thing? Yeah. Well, that's why I had to look it up because I was like, is this a weird thing that our school did for no reason? <laughs> Alex's school is just very passionate about milk. I mean, we had like a very involved gym teacher who I feel like put together all these things. We also had like a big like anti-smoking campaign and like he just had a lot of things going on. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Our school did a lot of stuff. It just yeah. didn't always have a point to it. There was... <laughs> We used to do a spring fling. This was not a dance. Oh, yeah. This was a, like, fun fair in the gym. Okay. And they would turn the uh, girls' bathroom into a haunted house every year. Oh, fun. And 
like they went all out with it. There was one year they just put jello on the floor in the shower. So you'd oh. it was pitch black and you'd step in the shower because you had to go in barefoot and it was yeah. just jello. Ugh. And then people would like jump out and scare you and stuff. And they did this when I was really young. And we got my friend and I went to the jello shower and then someone scared us and we had to run crying out and go oh. sit in the janitor's closet crying for a little bit. Oh, oh man. But they did like beanbag tosses yeah. and like they had a trampoline and stuff. Yeah. They brought in like sumo suits to sumo wrestle once. We did a lot of stuff. There's yeah. just never a theme to it. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess also like the thing is that if you do your own spirit week, you have to get your own prizes and stuff. Like this is Oh, we didn't do prizes. Okay. You it was should, just, it was just like come to school in your pajamas. Yeah, like we we combine them right, like because we do pajama day. It was just yeah. during Milk Spirit Week. Actually, I have a great uh, Spirit Week story that's not about me, but it's about a friend of ours. Yeah, it's you had to cut this out, Nick. But it's Flip you. Okay. I feel like I've told you this story before. <laughs> All right, but it was it was Spirit Week. It was pajama day, and one of my friends in high school was kind of a troublemaker. He never really, like, did anything super bad, and everyone was like, oh, it's just the way he is. So he got away with a lot, more Uh than most other kids would have. And he shows up to Pajama Day in a t-shirt and boxers. Oh, yes. (laughs) You've told me this. (laughs) I love this story. Okay, It's a good story. And he gets to, like, first period, and our poor English teacher, I wasn't in the class, he was older than me, but the teacher was like, you have to take those off. Like, yeah. you can't wear your boxers to school. What are you doing? And my friend's like, "Oh, you want me to? You want me to change? You want me to take the boxers off?" And she's like, "Yes, <laughs> you can't oh, no. wear them." Oh, no. And he's like, "So you want me to take the boxers off?" Oh, <laughs> oh god, she should have known what she was. I mean, she couldn't have known what she was getting into, but should have known that this was not a path for <laughs> soup. No, but you never know what you're getting into. Yeah. So she's like, "Yes," and he goes, "Okay," and then he whips his boxers down and thankfully for everyone involved he had actually just rolled up pajama pants underneath <laughs> his boxers and had planned a grand surprise reveal where he was actually wearing clothes all along the grand surprise <laughs> that he was not nude in class <laughs> yeah it's one of my favorite stories <laughs> and that was my high school yeah not my high school experience but the people i went to school with. well we didn't do we didn't do milk spirit week in high school we only did it in elementary yeah. school but I think you can do it in high schools. I feel like it might be harder to get teenagers te- excited about milk. And to dress up like farmers. Maybe to dress their teachers up like cows. Yeah. I haven't known a kid who's who would pass up an opportunity to make fun of their teacher. I did also skip every like pep rally or assembly or anything like that when I was in high school. <laughs> so. my, my big protest at assemblies was I would go to seven by the paper. Yeah. And then I would sit in the front row... <laughs> And I would, like, very, like, make a big show of, like, shaking it out and, like, licking my finger and, like, and they'd be like, ah, can you please not read the, and I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reading the paper. Like, I'm just trying to learn at school and I don't think that this is. Like... Oh, my God. I would skip some of the assemblies and then, like, I'd just go to my house and nap. Same. I lived, like, I lived within walking distance to my high school, so I would just, like, if there's a pep rally in the morning, I would just show up later. See, but also, unlike you, I was on student council all four years of high school, so uh, I was, yeah. I planned all of the events or helped plan or set up, so I was at almost everything. I spent as little time in that building as I possibly could. <laughs> um, but yeah, we... <laughs> That's, we've learned about milk today we've learned about milk today and i hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> a lot more milk economics than i thought you'd work into an episode um i didn't want to. no i'm proud of you for doing it because i know how much you must have hated it yeah <laughs> i think i got to the 30s and was like oh god i have to i have to <laughs> i can't ignore this anymore yeah 
the Piggly Wiggly and my stupid <laughs> price cutting. Can I mention my favorite milk campaign? Oh, yeah. I don't know if this was, like, it must have been, like, a Canadian milk campaign. It was 80s or 90s, and it was, like, put milk on ice. Like, and the, and it was just, like, trying to be, like, sexy. Oh, yeah. And it was, like, a woman singing, milk on ice. <laughs> like... Oh, I remember this so clearly, and it, like, and like, like sexy, like '90s lighting in the in the commercial, and oh, she's, no. she's like putting like ice and milk, like it's like a sexy drink, like. Um, a few hmm. a few years ago, wow. they tried to replace Got Milk with Milk Life. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a question. It's That's not, nothing. No, I think it was like Milk Life. Like, but that's also a still nothing. No, like, are you like milking life? Like, what does that mean? I don't know. Got milk's at least like, do you have milk? Yes, we all understand so, what it means. Yeah, it's like there's my favorite celebrity with a milk mustache. Yeah, got milk. And someone wrote a thing for them to like sign off on, and it's like I'm Sipowitz for my my PD blow, and when I'm not out busting heads, <laughs> I'm I'm cracking a cold. What? It doesn't come in a can. Okay. <laughs> Cold can of milk. A cold can of milk. Like, Sipowitz doesn't know. He doesn't drink milk. He's an alcoholic. Yeah. Like, it was the weirdest campaign when they did it in character. Yeah. Huh. No, there was a ton of milk advertising, I feel like, when we, oh, were, yeah. when yeah. we were kids. Um, Probably still is. I don't know. We're just not in school anymore, so we don't see enough of it. Well, also, I don't really watch, like, TV. No, but also, who's trying to make a bunch of people in their, like, late 20s to, like, late 30s drink milk? We're I not mean, the target audience for any of this. No, it must be a disaster, all the different milk alternatives <laughs> that are available now. Like, God Oats? Yeah, God, <laughs> God Oats. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. It's my favorite, my favorite uh, milk. It's an I do milk. like a good, like, oat milk in mm-hmm. coffee. Yeah. But now the oat milk brand I like is not in any store I can find. So. Oh. This is Sorry. this is the difficult life I'm living. I can't find the oat milk I like right now. This is when I convince you to drink real milk like a healthy, robust farm child. I've been doing it, but I'm not happy about it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to um, this. We're almost two hours this into two this hour long... milk episode. <laughs> this two-hour-long diatribe on oh milk. Oh, my God. <laughs> if our longest episode is on milk, I don't, I I don't spent, know. I spent so much time on this. <laughs> two hours? I had to read a lot of boring things. <laughs> I hope I hope that I cut out all the boring parts for you. And, and okay. uh, yeah, that everyone learned everything. So thank you for listening. <laughs> Do you want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you want, uh, if you want to see milk ads, I guess I don't know what pictures we have for this episode. <laughs> Put up some pictures of cows. Yeah, if you want to see some pictures of cows, you can check out our website onegreathistory.wordpress.com. Uh, you can follow us on social media at One Great History on Facebook and Twitter. Or on Facebook, on Instagram, we are on Twitter as the number one Great History. Oh, and YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I yeah. just started putting episodes up on YouTube. Yeah, so. if you want to find a new way to listen to us. Yeah, and we'll have some video content at some point, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, we'll if, get there eventually. If you prefer to listen to your podcasts on YouTube, that's uh, we're there now. We're there now. So please subscribe. Yeah, you can. and uh, if you want to support us and help us buy research material and help justify all the time Alex spent reading <laughs> about milk, you can support us on Patreon. So if you check out uh, patreon.com forward slash one great history, it's $5 a month. You get access to bonus episodes, Ginger Smith's news clippings, and all sorts of... I mean, those are the fun things you get right now. Yeah. <laughs> but they're fun bonus episodes. 
uh, last month's was on the Manitoba Hotel Fire. A baffling disaster that killed no one against all odds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this month's bonus episode is on electric houses in the home of the future. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time with no milk talk. (laughs) Milk is now banned from the pod. (laughs) Yeah, because I I was for a while trying to think of, like, is there something in this episode that I could that I could use that wouldn't be like either like boring milk economics or just like weird things, right? <laughs> <laughs>